1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the Life Wisdom Podcast here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkron. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with uh, Mark Van Buren. Um, he is a go-to guide for all things meditation and mindfulness-based. We'll be talking about a couple of his books, including A Fool's Guide to Actual Happiness, And your life is meditation. You will receive some more information about how to connect with him and his work. That'll also be in the podcast notes. But let's get to know Mark a little bit. Welcome to the
0: podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Great. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey of how you ended up down this path? How'd that start up for you?
0: Sure. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not like super exciting. I didn't get in like a near-death accident or something you know, cool and crazy like that. But it actually started in high school. One of my gym teachers, maybe junior year, um, he taught the class meditation. And of course, I was the kid messing around. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I tried it a little, realized I couldn't do it and uh, was just messing around with my friends. And, you know, I didn't take it seriously at the time, but that seed was planted, that, that that possibility of this practice. And it was years later in college and I and I started to remember my teacher doing that and something in me just wanted to, to learn the practice. So I, I tried a little on my own. I had a teacher when I was in massage therapy school who did qigong, and he told me to count from 500 down to zero and I tried to do that which was frustrating and took forever. And at some point, um, I, was, I was curious, like, like am I doing this right? Like, what is the whole point of this? So I decided to go on a, a weekend retreat at um, a Chan Buddhist center. So at the time, I had no idea what Buddhism was or Chan Buddhism. And basically, as I'm sure you're aware, uh, the Chan Buddhism is basically the Chinese version of Zen. So most people have heard of Zen, but not Chan So basically, Buddha or Buddhism, rather, moved from India to China, where it mixed with Taoism and and some of the other traditions and became Zen. And then it moved. um, I'm sorry, it became Chan. And then it moved from there to Japan and became Zen. I think I got that right. But anyway, so I did this weekend retreat and it was hard, but I, for some strange reason, really enjoyed it which for me at the time was weird because I was this kind of crazy outgoing college kid. There was really no no reason for me to be really into this, but I really enjoyed it. And then I kept going on more and I kept challenging myself. I signed up for another three day. Then I signed up for a five day, then a seven day, then a 10 day. Then I you know lived with the monks and nuns of that tradition at the retreat center for a 30 day like work study program. And, you know, I just kept going deeper and deeper and spending, you know, I've probably spent thousands of hours doing meditation. And, and then on top of that, thousands of hours just reading, listening to, to talks and, and lectures and podcasts. And, you know, I just continue to learn and deepen my own practice And all the while, you know, trying to share it with other people, because I've seen what it can do for my life and how it can kind of transform our difficulties, our suffering and just the way we we appreciate and experience our life. Um, And I just want to share that because there's so many people, especially now with this pandemic, so many people that are just suffering more than they have to, right? Some suffering we we can't do anything about. We twist our ankle, that's going to hurt. It doesn't matter how much you meditate, you know, you have a root canal, that's going to be painful. You lose someone you love, there's going to be grief and pain and sorrow. So there's there's some things that are inevitable, but we can start turning towards those things and find, you know, more wholesome and skillful ways to relate to them so we don't create the extra suffering, which is all the reactivity on top of it you know the the judgments the storylines the expectations the shoulds and shouldn'ts all that stuff
1: Well, it seems to me a couple of things come to mind um, typically the I don't interject too much on the podcast because we're here to hear what you have to say but the couple of things that come to mind are this uh, 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 Zen yes Zen Buddhism is a is a is is the japanese uh, iteration of chan chinese which comes from dhyana in sanskrit in india which of course means meditation dhyana is one of the limbs of the yoga path when you talk about the suffering that we don't need that we create there are definitely uh, two pandemics occurring one pertains to the virus and the second is uh, are various typically unhealthy relationships <laughs> to the yeah. virus and to the lockdowns and to the, the mandates and whatnot. Um, tell us, before we dive into your work and your books and all that, tell us a bit about your personal practice. What does that look like?
0: Yeah, so it's obviously changed since uh, I first started. When I first started, I was single and living at home and i didn't have to work a lot so i got to spend hours a day doing my practice it was great you know i would go twice a day to the nature center nearby and do an hour of qigong i would sit in the middle of the day i'd go on retreats you know, i'd do work here and there i was a personal trainer so i could make a good amount of money in a small amount of time and i you know i was able to eventually get an apartment with a friend of mine who was in my band at the time and You know, we just had a great time and I spent a lot of time doing like what I said was sitting for long periods, doing a lot of reading and study. Fast forward about 13, 14 years. Now I have a wife and three kids. They're two, four and six. So a lot of energy, a lot of attention. And I also work full time with a chip company. I drive trucks from 230 uh till you know i generally i wake up around 2 30 or 4 sometime between those two numbers (laughs) those two times and i work about nine hours there and then i come home and i have private clients with my mental fitness training i write articles i teach classes and workshops retreats and you know on top of that, trying to find time to spend with my kids and my wife and family, and then also just doing things for me, like working out and stuff like that. So, so now my practice is a whole lot different. I, I sit when I can sit. I, I do sit every day. Uh, I think it's been almost a thousand days since I've missed a session. Uh, and sometimes, you know, to get my sitting in, it might just be going to the bathroom, close the door and sit on the toilet for one minute just to get that practice in. A lot of times I'm doing my practice at work, you know, because I do delivery. Um, I make deliveries and sometimes I'm waiting so I can sit for 20 or 30 minutes in my truck and do my practice. But for me, uh, you know, your practice is not limited to the formal sitting. It's important to have a, a formal training every day because that helps strengthen, you know, attention and the ability to let go of thoughts and to to just be fully embodied in that moment. But for me and and really for everybody to understand is our practice is our entire life. What meditation is, at least from my perspective and my years of practicing, is how am I relating to this moment? What is this moment? What are the ingredients of this moment and how am I relating to it? How am I responding to it? Am I responding appropriately to what life is asking of me? Or am I reacting unconsciously and habitually and, and you know, just banging my head against the wall uh, rather than working with what's presenting itself?
1: It seems to me that there's a time and there is, there are phases of life, obviously, that typically have to do with life stages and and relationship statuses and children. Um, irrespective of all that, it seems to me that that there needs to be a time of rigorous training um, before someone can have that muscle mass, that muscle memory. So, if you've spent a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand hours in the gym, then yes, when you're strolling in the park you can be doing crunches. You can have a certain posture. You can have a certain metabolism. You can have a certain physique or, or tone or whatever metric you want to use. You can bring that into your day to day and use it and flex it and, and enjoy it. But there needs to be that time where you, you build it. And so it seems that you've had ample time to build the, the awareness muscle that you can flex day in and day out. Um, uh, tell us more about your vision about how meditation is something that is from what I'm gleaning from what you're saying is a lifestyle more than a, a discrete practice.
0: Right. Yeah. Like I, I don't see it as like a new hobby that you learn. I, I mean, and it can be used in that way. But for me, it's all about practicality. You know, so if I'm just sitting down five minutes a day to zone out, to escape my life, and to just feel like all like fluffy and happy for five minutes, that's nice, and there are some benefits to that. But how does that help when you're stuck in traffic on a Tuesday afternoon, when you're in an argument with your wife or your significant other, when your best friend dies of a drug overdose, when you're standing at the bedside of a loved one in hospice, when you're dealing with anxiety, depression, how do those five minutes translate to something that can actually be of use in your life. So, I know we talked, or you talked uh, just now about like the gym. The gym is great, and I'm not putting the gym down at all. I work out, I exercise, but you could lift for hours a day and still not know how to deal with your own thoughts, how to deal with difficult emotions or situations, not be in line with your deepest values. And so, like a chest press isn't necessarily going to help you in the rest of your life, except in that very limited scope. So
1: Mark, the gym actually was to me an analogy to working out spiritually. So not only the actual gym, but I was thinking of the gym as a metaphor analogy that meditations a sort of workout and building that meditation muscle is putting your hours in. That'll help you maybe um, to live your life in a different way. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, correct. And, and no, I know you just, you just had mentioned the word, the gym. So that just reminded me of what I typically tell people when I'm talking about mental fitness training, it's like, great. You can do the chest press, the bicep curls, but how is that helping you when things get hard in our lives? And and, and think about what do we turn to meditation for, right? We, what do we turn towards this practice for It's it's to help with our suffering. I mean, nobody comes to Buddhism or meditation because they're feeling good and things are okay. I mean, usually it's it's either prescribed by a doctor because something's going on physically, or there's just some existential angst, or maybe there's just some depression, anxiety, addiction, something that these people feel that that meditation will help them do. so again, to go back to kind of where I was going with it, the with meditation, it's not just this hobby, it's, it's you're literally cultivating qualities of mind that you can take with you into the rest of your life to meet the rest of your life, right? So just some qualities, like I came up with this thing recently called ARK, A-R-K. It can be A-R-C as well, but I like A-R-K better. And basically, the three qualities of mind we're trying to cultivate are awareness or attention, um, relaxation, and then kindness or compassion. That's where the K or C come in, right? So with, with our awareness, so we're sitting upright, we're, we're paying attention to the moment-by-moment experience, and we're in it, right? It's not just like we're observing it from a distance. We're embodied. We're... We're experiencing the body, within the body, from the body, however you want to say it. And we're cultivating, like you said, that attention. And the, the funny thing is, it is awareness is already here receiving life. So on one level, we don't have to strengthen it and cultivate it. But on another level, because we get so caught up in our thoughts and our emotions and the senses you know the the data from the senses coming in we get so lost in that that what we actually have to cultivate is letting go back into it you know letting go of our attachment to our views our likes our dislikes uh and all of these things so we're we're cultivating this ability to pay attention without judgment without our normal storylines um we're paying attention with some warmth with with a sense of curiosity. And, and most importantly, we're willing to be here and, and in this moment. And, and why this moment? Because this is it, right? there. There's no other moment. The, the only place where we can experience our life, our actual real life is right here. Whatever's presenting itself in your body, in your mind, in your sight, the sights that you see, the sounds you're hearing, like this is our actual life and so many of us keep getting caught in these thoughts something's wrong something's missing right and this is where all our suffering comes from wanting life to be other than what it is in this moment and meditation goes right to that to that the source of that anxiety that suffering and says all right this is what it is this is my life this is this is the present moment now how can i be here with some ease how can i see clearly what's happening how can i gain some insight into the nature of reality into the nature of myself into the nature of my own suffering right so the, all of this falls under the awareness category of what we're cultivating that quality of of attention or awareness and then the other factor is how can we just bring some ease into it i call it relaxation just for the sake of the acronym but you know how do we how can we be at ease with our lives how can we train our nervous system to be able to receive both both pleasant and unpleasant and neutral with with some equanimity right because that's what we want right we want to be content we want to have equanimity because think about you know when we're running around trying to do all these things make our life this way and get this amount of money and this person and this particular house and this particular town we're trying to manipulate the external world so that we can finally be at ease right so that we can finally get this thing called happiness right and it, and you know we keep waiting for that to happen and when we finally get those conditions together either they're not exactly the way that we wanted them to be or it is exactly the way that we wanted them to be, but because of the law of impermanence, it has to change. And then there we are again, unsatisfied. So we're cultivating this ability to be at ease, to to be receptive, to learn to welcome life as it is, and then to work with life from that place of of ease, clarity, acceptance, wisdom. And then that comes to our third quality of kindness and compassion. Right. I I, I would consider sitting in meditation when you're allowing things to be as they are when you're allowing your body and mind to be the way they are i consider that cultivating unconditional friendliness and 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 as you know what you practice repeatedly you get better at because you know it becomes second nature it's like playing the piano at first you're stumbling and 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 you know it's hard to read and then play what you're reading and your fingers hurt but you know Fast forward 10 years and you could do it with your eyes closed. You could play behind your back. You know, it's it, it just becomes second nature, something you don't have to think about. And, and so that's what I was, was kind of getting at is we're cultivating this awareness, this relaxation and ease and this kindness, this mind that's receptive and open and and, and curious, you know, willing to, to see and to learn what's about, you know, just life and things going on, our thoughts, our feelings, how we relate to them. And then those qualities start leaking into daily life, right? And then we start living from that place of clarity, maybe not 100% of the time, maybe that's what a Buddha would be, living in complete clarity and ease and compassion, moment by moment, You know, appropriately responding to every situation skillfully and wholesomely, moment to moment. But for the rest of us that aren't Buddhas, I would say if we could get 5% more awake, I think that would make a tremendous difference in the choices we make, in the words we speak, the actions we take, what we choose to indulge in, the behaviors we continue to strengthen or let go of. So, yeah.
1: (laughs) What are some practical ways that folks can incorporate mindfulness into their lives?
0: So, just the simple act of pausing. It is such an amazing tool and and it's almost so simple that people think that can't help at all. You know, if I just pause once an hour or whatever, that can't really help. But you'd be so surprised how if you just stop and you just start to pay attention, what does the body feel like right now? What is it? What position is it in and what does that feel like to be in that position? Right. We're we're going beyond words when we pause. We're not, you know, I could say my legs are crossed, but those are words. That's a concept. What does legs crossed actually feel like? Right. Going into that embodied presence, feeling the legs, feeling the breath. Right. Especially now with COVID, like we don't appreciate our breath until something happens to it. And if you think of people who are struggling with COVID, it's hard to breathe. Some people might have to go on respirators or oxygen. So to really just appreciate your breath and to feel it right now, right? And we don't even realize we know it, but we don't really feel it that this breath is giving our whole body life, right? Each breath is like allowing us to be alive moment to moment. So to really feel that and to be grateful for that. Um, listening to the sounds is such a great way to pause, especially if you're someone that really thinks a lot about life and you have trouble getting into your body, whether it's just due to you haven't practiced it or maybe trauma or things like that. But to just get out of your head by pausing. And I tell people, imagine someone ran into this room and said, oh my gosh, do you hear that? And you can just see like, Everything just stops in the mind and there's this spaciousness. There's this receptivity. So just pausing and feeling your breath, feeling your body, listening to sounds, or just pausing and holding the whole thing all at once, you know, just kind of being as T.S. Eliot would say, the still point of the turning world, right? Just resting there and this, okay, right now life is like this, you know, and for that moment, you're not strengthening your neurotic patterns. You're not strengthening anything, you know, unwholesome. You're you're literally just receiving life as it is, and you're cultivating that awareness. You can also relax in that moment, so it's not just pause and stay there. It's pause and breathe and soften, right? You're cultivating the the uh, relaxation. You're you're teaching your nervous system to relax, right? and and maybe you know you're in a situation or you know might be in traffic or you're having some anxiety or stress from work or some anger from something you can pause with that and you can and you can breathe and you can soften and you realize that ease is possible even when you're angry ease is possible when you're anxious right I don't know who said this, but like, you don't have to get angry about your anger. You don't need to be anxious about your anxiety. You don't need to get depressed over your depression, right? You don't need to add this extra stuff. And when you just pause and start paying attention to how things are without your stories, without the judgments, uh, you start to see that one, things are impermanent, that ease is possible and that everything in life is workable. And even if it's tremendous suffering, that you can use that suffering as fertilizer to cultivate, you know, wholesome qualities like compassion or understanding or wisdom. So, you know, to answer your question, it's just the simple pause. You know, pausing is one aspect, just bringing attention to something you do every day, bringing like real focused attention on brushing your teeth or, you know, doing your hair or eating breakfast or drinking your cup of tea in the morning, just picking one thing. You know, it, it's just another kind of informal practice uh, of mindfulness.
1: Sort of witnessing, it seems, slowing things down, that space between the the person that you are and the thoughts that you're having and the things that you're feeling. You know, when you say don't be depressed by your depression, don't be anxious by your anxiety, this very much reminds me of of, of indic wisdom of, of indian wisdom found primarily in hinduism buddhism etc this idea that uh, who you are isn't the person caught up in the experiences is uh, emotions that there's a part of you that can witness that and be still sort of in the middle of that the eye of the hurricane as it were um so mentioned in passing you know you know we're all getting towards we're all works in progress, if it were, and you mentioned in passing that okay, maybe maybe a Buddha would be somebody who would have full cognition and full stillness and full awareness from moment to moment. Is that then the result? Is that the ultimate goal then of this practice? Buddhahood,
0: yeah. Well, not everybody who practices is practicing Buddhism, so that's like part of the issue with, with is the direction. Buddhahood. Well, I mean, uh, for
1: you, what what do you view as the 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 goal of this?
0: I think the goal is just to be right here with my life, and and to see how how I'm using this precious gift of of this human existence, and am I am I adding? More hatred and violence and suffering into the world, or am I bringing some ease? Am I am I reducing suffering? Am I bringing joy? Like, what am I contributing to this human race and to this world? And I I think for me, the goal is to be as fully here as I can, to gain as much insight into what this actually means. Which I think ends up having more questions and answers. But I think you learn to become more at ease with uncertainty, with not knowing, with the mystery. And I feel like you embody more and more that mystery. And and you embody more and more um the the real you, like you were saying, like there's that you that's caught up in things, that small mindedness. I call it me world. And I feel like there's the deeper self, you know, that uh has wisdom, that that has compassion already and it's kind of learning to let go into that that deeper space and try to live from that space moment by moment. So, you know, I feel like I feel like the goal and the practice are kind of the same. you know, like they say like enlightenment and meditation are are the same. Um, but I feel like it, I feel like that's kind of true. I mean, you're when you're really practicing, you're fully embodied in the moment. You're not grasping. You're not causing harm, and you're responding appropriately to the conditions that are arising. I mean, wouldn't that be enlightenment? To uh, or wouldn't that be Buddhahood of uh, responding appropriately from, from, from a place that's not like not from our normal reactivity of our self-centered thinking, but from, you know, from life itself, like shifting from a, a self-centered way to a life-centered way. If that makes sense.
1: Yes, it does. So then, would you say that your particular life wisdom or the the insights you share in your books, for example, um, would you say that they stem from a particular system, uh, tradition, training, or would you say they stem from your own personal practice?
0: Well, it's definitely it definitely started out with Chan Buddhism, and then it turned into Zen Buddhism, and I did the formal trainings and and retreats and, and things like that. And occasionally I'll probably moving forward in my life, still attend those things. I, I, I really want to be part of a, of a sangha that, you know, makes sense for me and, and go on retreats. Cause I think it's important to deepen your practice like that. Um, but I feel like my practice is, is my own in, in a sense. It's, What after all these years of like trying to follow this particular way or this, you know, like system of thinking or, or whatnot, I always found that each thing kind of like shrunk down the practice a little bit for me. And it was like a little bit enclosing. And, and it also just made me chase after things that, you know, weren't helpful. Like, yes going in the direction of buddhahood maybe that's the inclination maybe those are the seeds i'm planting but like trying to chase after enlightenment or an experience of buddhahood or this deep awakening you know it it just kept me it kept me running away from my life from where i was it kept me running away from the mess right and most of my work now is just normalizing our suffering normalizing the messiness of everyday life and i think there's something that is just just—it's such a relief to hear that, at least when I'm talking at colleges and things like that. When I tell people, if you have suffering in your life, guess what? Nothing's wrong with you. You're not messed up. Our society pushes this happiness thing on us, and it's like if you're not happy, then you're failing, you're unsuccessful, someone else is doing it better than you, and something's wrong. But suffering is just a natural part of our existence uh, you know and and so you know for me it's just how can i be with the mess in the most skillful and compassionate way that that i can possibly be and and i feel like that's what i what i've been teaching which yes it is definitely in these buddhist teachings and the different religions but it's not so i don't know concrete maybe does that make sense am i am I answering that question
1: <laughs> oh, well my my questions are always meant to be generative rather than conclusive in that your response is your response and' right. ooh, sort of we'll see where it goes. I have no expectation that's just to discover what you think and perhaps to occasion you discovering what you think right. um, so it sounds to me. Um, like how to say your path, your work, your emphasis is very much a worldly one. Very much entails embracing the world warts with all navigating, as you call the mess, you know, um, high Indic philosophy, Buddhism, um, yogic philosophy. It comes from this huge renouncer movement. Of folks who sort of say, okay, no marriage for me, no kids for me, no property for me, no rituals for me. And, and you know, it, it really thrives very much in that sort of setting. And then there are other movements who say, wait, like the, like the idea of a bodhisattva or the idea of, um, in many ways, tantra, um, uh, there are many other strands that say, wait, uh, or what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, like have equanimity in the world. So go, go battle, go fight, go get your hands dirty, but have some awareness. You know, um, fight with attention. So, very much, it sounds to me like you're um, you advocate engagement with uh, uh, the world and worldly affairs. Would you say that's
0: accurate? correct? Yeah, I, I would definitely say. You know, because it didn't matter how many retreats I went on, I I eventually had to come back to my life. And I feel like, except for those small percentage of people that might go and and live in a monastery for 10 years or their whole life, we all have to kind of come back to ordinary existence.
1: One quick question before I respond to that. Do you believe that we all have one life or do you believe that we all come here multiple times?
0: Uh, I kind of have the agnostic I'm not sure like I'm gonna find out hopefully not too soon but um, I don't really know uh, I, I you know if it can happen once I think it can happen again that's that's my one <laughs> thing that I kind of hold on to here we are talking you and I on a planet in the middle of infinite empty space so clearly it can happen um, but you know I don't I don't know about afterlife pre-life uh, i'd like to believe there is but again this is all speculation and uh, you know and for me it's how am i relating to this life and what can i actually know and do now you know
1: the reason i asked that question is because the model of humanity or the human complex or the human condition the model that one has for example if one has a model that we have one life who knows what happens after that? Or if one has the model of become here many times, it seems to me that that would completely shift one's perspective on, well, you know, renouncing is not for me in this life, perhaps. You know, that might be part of the play. Um, and that's probably a very traditional response for most traditions. Not everybody is set up to or ready to renounce in this life. And in many ways, that sort of narrative of multiple lifetimes, it it releases, um, it, uh, it sort of, it, what, it softens the pressure of, well, you better get it right, because this is your one bite at the apple, otherwise you're screwed. So that's part of the reason why I ask. Obviously, you're, you're, you're welcome to your beliefs or uh, non-beliefs or agnosticism. I just was curious to know whether or not that was part of your particular view of wisdom.
0: Right. and you know especially with Buddhism it gets very confusing because yeah you know, at least in the Hindu traditions it's like there's a self there's the the uh, what is it the Atman or or not an- yeah the self
1: right. it's the, it's the, it's the you who's witnessing everything else so when you're right. saying that uh, who's experiencing the stillness and the motion if there's no one there but the motion
0: right exactly so you know in 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 the Hindu tradition there is that sense of solid, a sense of self that moves on it's one thing moving forward and in buddhism it gets confusing because there isn't a self but there's like this momentum or karmic uh i don't know it just gets too confusing for me so i i just uh i'll find out and if if there's if i get reborn somewhere i'll find you and i'll you know let you and the listeners know i will
1: i will not be back this is my last life so good luck with
0: that <laughs> But all the best. <laughs> uh, and I'll find you up there in Nirvana with uh, the Buddhas, <laughs> wherever that is. <laughs> what,
1: um, if folks want to connect with you, what can they do? How can they connect
0: with you? Uh, so if you search my name, basically you can find everything. So if, if they type in authormarkvanburen.com, That's my website, Buren at gmail.com. There's my email. Instagram, Buren. you know, Facebook, Buren. So you can connect with me through that way. You can go to my my website, sign up to my mailing list. I don't send a lot of emails just when I have upcoming events and exciting news. Uh, My Instagram, I'm always posting, you know, quotes, things to inspire you, to practice, to remind you why you're practicing. And it's just a way to stay inspired, connected. And of course, you know, I do my mental fitness training, which is just basically like mindfulness, meditation, individualized coaching or or training. So that's just another avenue to, to stay connected, you know.
1: Fantastic. Those various links will be in the notes for the podcast. Mark's website and uh, Instagram account and Facebook. It's very convenient to have a unified handle. Um, <laughs> I believe I joined Twitter last year. I'm I'm uh, Dr. Raj Balkan on Twitter, um, but on Instagram, I'm at School of Indian Wisdom for the school. So you know, I'm all fractured, but he has he has a consistent handle, which <laughs> makes life a little more focused. Um, now. I will also post a link to Mark's most recent book. It's a 2020 publication um, called Your Life Is Meditation. So you can find out all the information about him and his mailing list in the podcast notes. Before we close, <laughs> <laughs> do you have any questions for me?
0: Um yeah, I mean what 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 are you what have you been practicing for if this is gonna be your last life? What what have you been doing?
1: The, the, so the, The question is, what haven't I been doing? That's true. (laughs) (laughs) I've been around the block, let me tell you. Um, In this life, it's been a mishmash, but most of the most powerful spiritual techniques and practices that I've embraced and connected with come from ancient India, mantric practices, visualization practices, I run an online school called the School of Indian Wisdom. It's content, spiritual and academic, both. It's a, it's a hybrid. Um, but most of my practices are sort of uh, private. I might share them with folks that come along who have the right disposition. But typically, um, much of what I resonate with comes from ancient India, perhaps unsurprising. Seems the same for you. Um, uh yeah, was there anything more specific that you wanted to know?
0: Well, for for your meditation, do you uh, so you do more concentrative rather than you know like zazen, or you're just kind of sitting and aware, yeah, and, but me, you have more. For,
1: for one of the most powerful tools I've ever come across is Sanskrit mantra that's initiated by masters. That holds power. It's extraordinarily transformative. So I would say thousands of hours have been spent in mantra practice but mantra of course can be used as visualization it can be used as ideation it can be used as meditation it can be used as something that the monkey mind is busy with so that the awareness builds beyond the monkey mind that's actually dealing with the mantra um, so i'd say mantras is uh, the, 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 has typically been my go-to tool for the most part um, visualization practices as well
0: in this day and age with pandemics and not being able to go anywhere, how does one like myself get a, a charged up mantra?
1: <laughs> well, for that, we'll have to speak when the when the curtains have closed and the audience has dispersed. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but to know, um, um, much like the coaching that I do, and you probably do as well, and the teaching, um zoom right i've been on zoom for the last five years i've been working out of my home teaching and coaching on zoom for five years i've been preparing for the pandemic it seems right. but um, yeah a, a number of initiations can take place through sound and sight through zoom in rare case one needs the physical dimension the immediate physical dimension i mean for initiations but much can take place like there are the last course i did actually at the school it was called sacred sound you know, it's called Sacred Sound, Tapping the Power of Sanskrit Mantras. So there was there were a number of mantras, obviously, in a course on mantras. And right. folks found full efficacy, um, engaging them in the online medium. But we can certainly talk once we close.
0: Yes, definitely. that would be so, fun to, to have a new mantra, new something. That, <laughs> they go deep are you content? What was are that? Content? Are you content? I am content.
1: Okay, for those of you listening, we have been speaking with author Mark Van Buren. And that's his handle at www.authormarkvanburen.com or on Instagram or Facebook. You could also join his mailing list or check out his book. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, and keep contemplating this this thing called meditation. Mm -hmm. Take care.